Hello. Good evening. Have you said your goodbyes to a call recorder? Well, I mean, I, I've begun the process. Hmm. You know, where um, I just figure you got to savor every moment. It's. Yeah. You don't appreciate those moments that you have reinstalling call recorder until some, one day it's just gone. Yeah. And there's nothing to reinstall. It's a shame. Yeah. But you got you got uh, your M1 Max, like correctly ordered M1 Max, but that's not what you're podcasting on, I guess, huh? Um, let's see. No, I have not tried it. I mean, is it definitely faux shizzle totally dead on M1s now, or is it just on life support? I believe it does not work at all, although I have not tried it myself. Shahid said that it didn't work. I believe it was he. Someone said that it doesn't work for video recording, but... I, um, I, I mean, it's just, it's mostly just that it's out there now. And am I understanding correctly? Ecamm is not, does not have any plans to keep it updated for M1. Is that right? That's right. And they have, they have a Ecamm live. They have a separate thing. Is that right? Yeah. There's like a whole video streaming thing, whatever. Not really relevant to Skype, but. Yeah. I mean, I'll, um, like, uh, kidding aside, I, we, uh, you're using audio hijack as well, right? I'm a belt and suspenders. I use call recorder, but I also use audio hijack. I'm all suspenders now. I've, 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 <laughs> I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> it's really handsome. Um, um, you know, it's COVID times, so you don't always know who's around. And apparently somebody moved into this building where my office is a while back. And uh, she was, uh, I had my door open and she was saying, hey, is that your car in the driveway? I was like, no, it's not. It's like, oh, did you just move in? She's like, no, I've been here for a while. I was like, no, it's not my car, blah, blah, blah. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Back and forth. I'm wearing these ratty, ratty jeans, a Wyndham Hill t-shirt tucked into my pants with broad Carhartt suspenders. She goes, so... um, You live in the woods? Close. So (laughs) what do you do? Like general handyman work? And I was like... (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, no, I make things for the internet. I just hate belts. (laughs) You, see, these are the type of it, like, right now, you know, you know, when we, um, we were kids, people didn't have cameras in their phones, so there's pictures of us when we were kids, but just not that many, whereas kids today, there's a million pictures of them doing everything, right? Mm-hmm. This is an example of, like, when your grandchildren or great-grandchildren say, you know, back before we had ubiquitous constant video recording of everything we see 24 hours a day through our tiny thing in our ar glasses yeah we would have missed all these interactions this is this exact interaction where the where the new lady in the building thinks you're a handyman that's the type of thing you'd want to get on video i know it's a shame i uh they'd play it at your funeral you know they have like the remembrances that play these little video clips they play that clip <laughs> in memoriam mm-hmm. <laughs> um well you know um Merlin i have a handyman mm, that's pretty good you should write that write that mm-hmm. down like the magician uh-huh oh yeah never um, I, uh, I have a rule of thumb, which is that, um, well, you know me, I want the waitress to like me. I always want everybody to like me. And I think I'm fairly affable in person. You wouldn't know it from listening to audio, but my first rule is like, don't creep somebody out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if your first, your first impression is like, you don't want to like, you don't want to raise a red flag that you're some kind of weirdo. Well, I mean, actively, but passively, it seems like by what you're wearing, you may have you may have raised something. Hey, what I what I wear in my <laughs> private office in my personal studio is my own business. Was she a, in your studio? No, this is like a hallway encounter, right? I don't want to get into it, but it was it was a threshold type encounter. It was basically mm-hmm. and and is that your car? 
And and I pointed to this two wheel vehicle and said, "No, that's my car." Wee, mm-hmm. scoot, scoot. I was like, "Scoot, scoot," with my suspenders. What what what, what am I gonna what am I gonna lose at this point? What 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 my dignity, my my sense of personal integrity? I mean, apparently, you're gonna lose like you know thirty dollars an hour or whatever a general handyman gets. I don't know. That's pretty good dough. I have a, I have a lot of equipment, and uh, you know I have a, I have a lot of uh, you know I got the iFixit kit out, and I'm putting things on my little magnetic mat, and I'm. I'm testing out this the size of you know various fittings for for microphone mounts, and I think I probably looked like a handyman. I mean, I, if only she knew. If only you could have taken that moment to pause time and say, "Listen, lady, I've been spending a week and a half trying to hang curtains in my office. Do you think <laughs> I'm a handyman?" <laughs> oh, the what different kind of handyman? <clears throat> projects inside of projects. Um, but um, what was my point about that? Yeah, Wyndham Hill shirt. Yeah. It's good. You return to Wyndham Hill and it's better than you remember. So, I mean, let's, let's just finish this up. So, you know, you said, no, I do stuff on the internet and did she just like immediately lose interest and just run away or how did that end? That's the idea. Yep. Yep. That's the idea. Said you were a ceramicist on the internet and that was it? Well, ordinarily, if somebody says something to me anywhere near here, I say, how can I help you? Because, because I, I'm not an attorney, but I do often like reject the premise. I reject the premise of we're going to talk about, you know, like what happens in this office. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a thing we're going to talk about. What can I help you with? You know, is what I'll say sometimes. Yeah, that's the that's the Ohio version of what do you want? No, right? <laughs> no, it'd be I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm taking up space. How can I? How can I help you? What do you want? How can I? I'm precious oxygen. Can I get you a covered dish? What is this in service of? Let's talk about something important. I um, and so that's yeah, but suspenders, John. I'll tell you, buddy. Wow. So you don't you're you're you have a freakish body in a different way, which is what makes us such a fun visual duo. But you know, I I'm I'm cursed with uh, with a very unusual body. So the suspenders, the whole suspenders and belt situation, strikes me as a clothing fit issue. Like if your pants are falling down, is this isn't the solution to get pants uh, that that hug your middle part instead John, of holding? John, you should holding... listen to my other programs. Here's the problem. The problem is. <clears throat> that the way that these industries work is unconscionable. I don't know who they're ma- making clothes for. Now, you you ask any woman in your life about this, and that woman will tell you about a lifetime of struggling with industries that do not understand how women are built. You know, it's it's like they they want to make garter belts and stuff. Instead, you know, make a dress that doesn't hurt. Make a bra that doesn't that doesn't you know that doesn't hurt or or make make my give me some kind of like a brioche bun for a chest. I don't want that. And now with me, I'm a man with a short rise. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in order for me to get pants that, that have an accommodating fit off the rack, pret-a-porte, as they say, it's just not there. It's just not there. The, the legs are always way too long. I think I must be some kind of a homunculus of a man. What I'm here to tell you is you put on some pants. You put on some pants that maybe even are a little on the bigger side. You get those suspenders the way you want, buddy. It's just set it and forget it. You get it right once, and then you just climb into them. Same pants every day. So if you, uh, let me just do the math on this here, right? So a part of your problem is that the pant legs are often too long, right? But you can solve that by like hemming or cuffing or, you know, there's things you can do there to <sighs> remove the excess material. But the other problem is your rise, right? Which is the distance from like the top of the waistband down to your crotch, right? The crotch of the pants. The, the waist to taint ratio on pants is wrecked. It's a mess. All right. Well, it doesn't match your body, right? So your solution is, okay, let's get some suspenders in there. And the suspenders, you can use the suspenders to sort of raise up the the, the crotch of the pants till they meet the crotch of the man, so to speak, right? Yes. At that point, 
is your waistband up around like over your belly button? Like, is quite, your oh no, quite the opposite. The problem is, I'm at that stage in life, so <clears throat> I'm I'm uh, I'm well in the like pretty normal BMI. Not that that matters. Apparently, that's not very science. But you know, but like I I'm fairly proportional as a person. I think I'm not I'm not bizarre. I'm not non Euclidean. I'm not confusing. But but what you do is you get you some suspenders. And you buy some, uh, as I say, Pret-a-Porter, you get them off the rack, you know what I'm saying? Ready to wear is what we say on Francais. And then they, it's almost like a D&D spell. It's like a third or fourth level spell. Your pants are just hanging exactly where you want them to be. And you're not going to get, you're not going to get that thing where you got to, you know, there's not a comfortable spot in between. I'm either going to look like a plumber because they're down around the pube line, or I'm going to look like, you know, like a, some kind of 40s gangster because they're up near my nipples. Right. The Ed, Ed Grinley look, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's a sharp look, um, but I, uh, I I I again I I reject the premise. I reject the premise because I think clothes clothing is a mess. Now look at a man like you, a handsome man like you with those beautiful long arms and your children's shoes. Isn't it difficult for you to find clothes that you consider comfortable? I mean, I don't think I've worn jeans for like eight months now, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How, how how do jeans work? It's are you all wearing a sweatpants. What do you what are you wearing? Oh, when you, it's uh, all sweatpants all the time. I mean. Uh -huh. I've been a sweatpant man my entire adult life. That's my pajamas, as we've discussed in the past. Yeah, layers. And now layers. I just never get out of my pajamas. I mean, I, I change my pajamas, <laughs> and I have my day pajamas and my night pajamas and all the other things. But yeah, hmm. it's all sweatpants. Hmm. Uh, but no, for the jeans, like I, I, I feel you've like it, it's I my uh the pant leg length mine is exactly between thirty two and thirty four, but nobody makes thirty three length jeans. Nope. Right. So I just have to choose. Do I want the floods or do I want them to be? A little OK, more? well, if you let's drill down on this. I, I, I don't see this on our list, but let's explore this. Now, here, here's the problem is I wear Levi's 501 jeans. It's what I've worn since high school. It's my primary pant, you know, and I, I, I've had to trick. You know, I've had to like mix in a little bit of khakis along the way. I had to roll dockers for a few years there. Uh, there was that unfortunate period in the 90s. When we were all uh, dressed like we were in like, uh, you know, you get what you get or, you know, if you steal my sunshine. You know, like very, very uh, cargo centric pant. Now, but, but other than that, I've always worn five on ones forever. Now, the 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 waist size has fluctuated. I when I was in college, I I don't think I ever weighed more than one hundred and fifty pounds. I mean, I generally was almost exactly one hundred and forty nine pounds, maybe as low as one forty two. After college, that went up to where at one point, again, we talked about my squirrely fad diet, where like I was, I was 194 before I lost weight. None of this matters except to say, if you buy Levi's jeans, you don't have a lot of choices. Okay. So even though I am close to probably a little below, but close to the average height anyway, not sure how meaningful that is. If I want to get, if 34 is too tight, 35 is too loose. But that's okay. You buy 35 and it shrinks. But now what are you going to do for length? 35, 30, they're doing some kind of like snap to grid thing where like if you get the shorter leg, the proportion of everything else is off. So I've got to go with the longer. So I get a 35, 32. And I roll them up like I'm in some kind of like an American graffiti where I've got like a nine inch cuff at the bottom. I look like a monster. Now I got to be, now I got to rotate my cuff because over time it's going to wear down. I don't want it to wear into a line. You know what I'm saying? So, so part of the problem is that if you buy off the rack jeans, and maybe I just need to get some kind of bespoke jeans, 
the, the idea of that phrase is very upsetting to me, is that the proportions are what they decide to make. And then on top of it all, and again, talk to your, talk to your, talk to your friends who, who are not your gender, and they will tell you, if you try on three pairs of pants, they will all fit differently. Because they're HON Mexico or, or, or Nicaragua, and they maybe aren't the fanciest thing in the world. These are being made very quickly overseas, and they're not, it's not like NASA conf style conformance to the spec. They're all different. So, you know, you, uh, you, uh, you gotta just, you gotta satisfy. I don't know. I, I do think it's a thing, though. I think it's weird. I, who was it? Somebody, I wanna say, so wasn't, was it Bobby Anderson or no? It might have been Buzz. Somebody got a bespoke suit in London back in the day. And I've always been so envious of that. Not because I want to wear a suit, but I would love to have at least one set of clothes that were made for me to wear on my body and fit perfectly from day zero. I would love that someday. I mean, they'll fit perfectly on day zero, but then, you know, after that, all bets are off. Well, that's why you get you Velcro or you get like an elastic or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You should try the suspenders, John. You know, that would look really sharp with your sweatpants too. Well, what I'm saying is that like my pants don't fall down. Like I don't have that. It's not because I have hips because I don't. I don't have any hips, but my pants also don't fall down. But so. it's the, see, you know, you're such a smart guy and you, you went to some college about engineering, I guess, not the good one, but mm -hmm. like you understand that there's more to this than any one data point. There's not, there's more than one measurement at play here. And if you, if you, when you go in and you bind, there's some combination, you spin the wheel and I went this waist and this inseam. And like what you end up with is something that's close to you, the closest to your body that it can be, but it doesn't mean it fits. Maybe I need to stop wearing jeans, John. Hey, have you tried sweatpants? They're very comfortable. I got fancy sweatpants for Christmas and they are amazing. You keep, you keep saying that. What, can you tell me what sweatpants you got? Because I can't figure yes. it out from your illusions. I got Vuori brand Ponto Pant from- How do you spell that? I don't know, John. You asked V U O R I. They're advertised on MSNBC. They're very costly. And my lady friend got these at REI, which is the only place when people keep asking me what my sweatpants are, which is awesome. Um, all I can say, like, it's this fancy one from MSNBC with a serif font in all lowercase. And I think she got them from REI. So look for REI, I think Vuori Ponto. And the main thing... This is like your band names. Vori Ponto. Okay. You, I'm sure you, those are words. You asked. You uh, asked oh, I got shorts. No. Um, no. Yeah, Vori Ponto. Performance Ponto perfor pants. Performance pants. That's mm. the one. Look, performance pants. Vori and Ponto performance pants. It's got, a, it's got a white tie on the outside. You can't really appreciate uh, it, but the, right, so the I material have, I have is, one pair of what I would call fancy sweatpants. Uh, I believe they are Mack Weldon sweatpants. Okay. And... They're nice. They're nicer than my other sweatpants. But I think part of the part of the thing with sweatpants is I, I heard you talk about this on another show. I want them to not be nice. I want them to be schlubby. And so um, what by I nice, favorite, I mean, they fit me like a person. I do roll the top uh, over a yeah, little so, bit. So you like pants that don't look like you're wearing baggy clown pants. <sighs> OK, listen, you know, I love Mac Weldon. I'm, I'm wearing two articles of Mac Weldon clothing, clothing right now. Big fan. Like American Apparel, like all the other ones, the the length uh, the length of the leg is comical, farcical on every pair of pants that fits me in the waist. I don't know who they are making these for. They are making them from for some kind of super hobbit that's like five eleven, 
and and I guess has like you know six foot legs or something like some kind of like uh, you know yellow submarine character. When I say good, what I mean is like first of all, this Dreamknit TM, this Dream Dreamknit TM fabric is extremely comfortable and commodious, and I can really recommend it. Uh, I think you should treat yourself. Now that you're a fancy manager man, you should get some some performance pant. I mean, so the Mac Weldon sweatpants look a lot like this, but the ones I like the best are the $15 from Costco, gigantic, incredibly thick champion remainder bin. I know exactly sweatpants. what you mean. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. That's that's my style, such as it is. It is it not stylish. It is incredibly ugly, not form fitting, incredibly thick and chunky, like I'm a giant teddy bear. Hmm. Huh. Um, do they have pockets? Probably not. I do have pockets. In fact, my, the ones I'm wearing right now, my, my most recent favorite <laughs> ones have huge pockets that can easily accommodate a very large smartphone. Should we do this with video? Do you want to turn on the video and we'll do video for this? We can no, look show you. each other our pants. Okay. All right. I got really good lighting in here right now. I got good hair lining. I did um, find your pants though, right? If you look at messages, that's them, right? Yeah. Yep. 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 Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it does um, look a lot like the Mac Weldon ones. You might like the Mac Weldon. Although you just you already said you think the length is I got the right. Mac Weldon. What have I gotten from the Mac Weldon? I got there, I think they're called Ace Pants. I don't know if that's the woke thing to call them, but <laughs> the asexual pants. I got those, I think. And those are that's one of those neither here nor there sort of like almost like you could unzip the bottom half of them kind of adventure pants. You know? Hmm. Yeah. Um <laughs> My my problem is it always comes down to the length. You know, ultimately, I imagine it's my rise. I should probably get corrective rise surgery, maybe a taintectomy yeah. or ta- yeah. taintotomy, whatever yeah, you, it would you be. You need to add taint, right? I need to add taint. I guess what I probably need is extra taint. I need a thicker taint or a long, is it longer? How Are do you, you missing a vertebrae? I don't, I, I don't know. Have <laughs> you ever counted of, them? I thought about having my ribs removed, but. You should count them. You might be missing one. Oh, okay. All right. That's like how you tell how old the tree is. It would is. explain a lot, right? Yeah, I guess it would. My posture's not very good. If I think about it, I, I sit up sort of erect like I am now, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but but the thing is, whatever pants you've got, the suspenders are going to make it work. Provided they're not too tight. If they're too tight, mm-hmm. I can't help you. You're going right. to have to, as okay. I say, let them out. Can we can we circle we'll back to you out. being average yeah. height? Can we circle back to that for a moment? Sure, yeah. Because <laughs> I've met you yeah. in real life. And I don't think you're the average height. That doesn't surprise me at all that you would say that. I'm going to think you're a little bit below average Because you, you're, you're like a seabird of a man. Right. Okay. You're like if, not... a, if Alice and Janney wrote Pearl, mm-hmm. a, a beautiful, right. beautiful bird. Mm-hmm. Um, Hollow bones, yeah. Uh, <laughs> how, how tall a man do you think that you are? I'm five, nine and a half about. That's fantasy. <laughs> you, what the hell are you talking I, about? All right, when you wake up in the morning and you are your maximum height, have yeah. some member of your household who is not a lizard or a cat get out a tape measure. Why? And see, because Why, to try not... and prove you right about your reckons about national averages? That's right. Read a book. Yeah. No, no, I like I think five <sighs> you're, oh, nine is you're the not, aver- it's not it's not a question of whether I am or am not a given averageness. It's whether I am the height that I am. No, cuz I I think 5'9 well, is like average. Would it make you feel you better? Are... Would you feel better if I was 5'8, five, 5'7? I was like a I little guy. That, I think that I think that's what you are. Okay. That all right. Then I'm below average height. My teen is gorgeous, but short. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing about height, you can distribute that height in all sorts of places. I think you I'm... just don't like me very much. I think if you liked me more, you'd think I were taller. And that's on you. <laughs> no. No. I don't. You can be very unkind sometimes. My, my very... wife is very my wife is very small. I have nothing against the little people. 
Oh my gosh, that's so nice. You know what? Noblesse oblige. That's so nice, that's John. Right. That you can, yeah, both, you both my kids. You, yes. Neither of, well, my son did not inherit my height. I don't think my daughter did either. So, you know. Hmm. Okay. All right. Um, so this will be the challenge. It'll be the challenge for next time is find out how tall you are and where you are in the dis distribution. Mm-hmm. So what do you say? You Okay, let's write it down. I say I'm five, nine and a half, or at least I used to be. Maybe I'm shrinking like my, like my mother-in-law. She just kept getting smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. Talk about hollow bones. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm Phoebe. You probably don't remember me. Um, uh, so I say I'm five nine and a half. And what do you say? What do you like? Do you think you're six ten? First or something? thing in the morning on a good day, I'm six. Why does it have to be in the morning, John? Because I got things to during do. the day. You shrink during the day. You Everybody do that. Everybody does. Well, you're saying you're at one is at one's most Alice and Jenny statuesque at in the morning like when you Correct. first get up. I heard that's because of your spine. Is what that's I heard. That's right. No, is that really true? That is absolutely true. How tall do you think Alice and Janney is in the morning? Six one. Alexa, how tall is Alice and Janney? According to an Alexa Answers contributor, actress Alice and Janney is six feet tall. What'd you say? I, I said six one. I gave her the inch for the morning. Yes. Thank you. Stop. Alexa, stop. Alexa, go home. Hmm. That's a seabird size. You know, a lot of birds, when you get up close to them, they're bigger than you think. Mm -hmm. From yeah. a distance, sometimes you can't eyeball, is that a crow, is that a raven? Believe me, you're going to know if it's a raven. Did, did you find that to be the case when you met me? I was bigger in person? I would say you're more awkward in person. <laughs> As if that were possible. Right? <laughs> well, it worked for me. Um, you were nicer to your family than I expected, which really made me happy. Mm-hmm. I figured you might be, you know, the, you know how you're so terrible with everybody. I no. thought maybe you'd be, yeah. I thought maybe you'd be like that with them, and instead you seemed really nice. Also, you know, uh, your lady friend has a, has a pretty good sense of humor, so that was nice too. <sighs> I'm trying not to be condescending, but for a little person, she's very funny, almost <laughs> yeah. human in a lot of ways. She's about your height, I think. And you know, I like the fact that she'll wear sandals even though she has those hairy feet, and she's always packing her pipe and enjoying firecrackers and second breakfast and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The Shire, uh, as speaking elv elv Elvish, Elvish Presley, <laughs> the first person to ever make that joke. I'm guessing. I don't know. You've read those. I'm no Ted Leo. I did it again today. I called Ted Lasso Ted Leo again. I did it again. That's all right. No, it's not. I said it twice on the Back to Work program. I felt like an, like an idiot. Did you watch the VFX breakdown? uh for ted lasso yes did you speaking of vfx breakdowns did you see you don't know what i'm talking about yet do you um no i'm sorry there's an implied ellipsis i didn't want to step yeah on. yeah uh so you're you you're a youtube fellow uh yes, you are surely familiar with wired series where they have an expert in a field tell you about <laughs> movies here's a cia agent to tell you about how realistic yeah, no, spy movies this. are I, lo I love the pilot. one with the surgeon there's a great one with the surgeon Talking about how no way would you ever do that. There's one with us. Uh, I think was there's a there wasn't there a lady who did one on spy stuff where she was like, mm -hmm. "This is actually weirdly similar to something we do." You'd be surprised. This thing's outlandish, but yep. it's what's a, what's a, what's this one? Oh, this one is not quite in the exact same camp, but similar. Uh, it was uh, let's get your questions answered about visual effects in movies. Mm -hmm. Guess who they had on as the expert? No, somebody yeah. I know. Someone we both know. Someone who has appeared on this program. No, that yes. guy? Yes. Talking about, talking about Todd. I'm talking about Todd. Todd is on one of those wired uh, videos as the expert telling us about VFX. Man. He, he, he's a compositor. He composites. You should, you should check with your algorithm because that should have come up 
a number one in the rotation. Oh no, I'm screwed right now. I'm getting, I'm getting the wilderness outdoor cooking man right now. Have you seen this man? The no. man. The, oh my god, it's so bad. Um, I will definitely check that out. Oh wait, no, I, he cooks things. Wait, he cooks things like in the woods and everything. I think you may have sent me some stuff. I might have sent you this. I sent it to my daughter today. I discovered it was like make the food that Genghis Khan likes. So he wanders around out by the, some river. Oh, look at that guy. He's so cute. Oh, look at Todd. Um, he wanders around. And so anyway, he has this really cool knife. I actually really envy his knife. I couldn't tell what brand it is because I want his knife. And he cuts up, he cuts up meat and he cuts up onions and he makes this stove and he puts river water in and he washes it out and he puts stones in, into the big pot. And I think he might be, I want to say probably Eastern European. And he's like, for salt, salt, pepper, meat. And so basically he's made this outside, he's basically made a boiling pot with stones in it into which he drops onions and slices of meat and salt and pepper and cooks it for two and a half hours. And I'm like, really? That's, it's just big, there's like big English food. Like, why would you cook anything like that for so long? What's it have to do with Genghis Khan? I don't know. And there's another one where he cooks a, I gotta say this, this one, this one's really good. He cooks a giant, 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 cow's leg yeah i think that's the one you sent me this is starting to Did sound I send familiar that to you? i might have sent it to you i sent it to my kid and i might have sent it to you okay i'll check it out is there any goat fronting in it i already made a goat fronting joke you i know i saw that it. one i saw it i was chatting with him about it mm. um i will check that out and we'll put that into um show notes hey everybody um show notes you can go to uh, relay.fm slash rd and you can find notes for this episode that is also where you can choose to uh, support the uh work that we do here um where we uh, record podcasts and you can support that you get uh every other week we do an episode of this show and you get we'll get that ad free and then uh, every other other week uh you get some bonus content at least at least that often sometimes more but that's and i think i don't know what we're doing i don't know what the challenge is this week but i think this is one of those weeks isn't it isn't this a super bonus week this is an extra content week. Uh, we don't have challenges, but what we do have is a new <laughs> URL that you can go to to become a member. We used to send everybody to relay.fm slash RD. What? But now we have, it occurs to me that now we have this special join page and I was all excited about it, but the new URL is longer. Anyway, it's relay.fm slash RD for rectifs slash okay. join. RD and that join. page explains a little bit more about the membership. Right? Oh, it's the same this as, we, you were talking to Stefan about this. Is this where we can put a clip or something? Yeah, we can make it fancier. Right now, it's just a straight-up join mm. page. It has a little bit more info about the program. Slash RD still works as well. Anyway, you'll find it. Your Twitter icon's missing on mine. Yeah, I saw it was broken. I, I blame Twitter for that. Do you? Yeah. Maybe you got uh, oh, maybe you got shadow banned. Have you thought of that? No, I'm pretty sure I'm not shadow banned. Tacky Goes to Coventry, we call it. Did you ever have that? Yeah, I know remember, about remember it. That? Yeah, remember Tacky Goes to Coventry? Remember that? Sounds vaguely familiar. It's a PHP BB thing where you, the ad admin or moderator can make it so that you see mm -hmm. your posts, but nobody else does. Yep. That was a very interesting idea in, in 2002. Now everybody does it. Hell banning. Yes. And that's what's happening to all the, the people that are streaming, right? They're being banned banned. Hmm. No, no. Okay. Hell banning is what, is what people think happens to them on Twitter when everyone is really just ignoring them because they're dumb. Oh, fair. Um, and so what's the challenge this week? We don't have one. Because we don't have challenges in the show. What we have is yeah. topics. And what well, we have is an overflowing bucket of topics. I find a lot of topics very topics. challenging, just being with the user. That's all right. So I, okay. good. I accept that. Um, but right. we have okay. a, a ton of topics. And at some point, we will cut this sucker off. We will pinch it off, as they say. Oh, and then woof. whatever, whatever yes. topic is dangling, 
Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing the analogy. Anyway, yeah. whatever topic is next in the list will be our extra content this week. We'll make it a good one. Uh, I don't even know what most of these are, which I love. I, I think one thing I do, I think, something I do, is I say something to you and I say, we should make that a topic. Mm-hmm. And then I forget that I've said it or what it is about. But, I, but when you said that, I wrote it down on the document. You're helping me out. I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Take a break. Okay. Um, Come up state. Okay. All right. Well, you know, welcome. I'm I'm sorry about my pants, but the, you know the suspenders are making me happy, and you just you just pull them right on. You know. Anyway, um, you still want to do this? We need to talk about TV stands briefly. Okay. Uh, it's another. Are you are you going to round back around about your your uh, your cock up with the uh, Christmas tree stand? Is that considered a few? Oh, you want me to talk? You want me to talk about that? Just I mean, it's either you or Bortina. So hard or easy, buddy. Uh, my wife informs me uh, that the Christmas tree stand that I said I got from my parents on the last episode, I did not, in fact, get from my parents, but she bought that Christmas tree stand. And not only did she buy that Christmas tree stand, she bought it because it was one of those as-seen-on-TV products, right? We have a whole section of our of our Walgreens that's those sorts of things. You, get, you can get a copper bracelet. Uh, you know, you can get something that vibrates for your health. It's mm-hmm. it's like a whole thing, and they got end caps at like uh, Bed Bath and Beyond. You know, it's a pretty pretty brilliant ploy. Like, because obviously the as seen on TV thing was a thing, but then someone said, you know what, we should make that into a brand, as sort of a nostalgic brand. For I agree, I totally, I totally TV. agree. And there's even you'll see uh, advertisements on cable TV for something where it's like you know they've got a, like an overall like umbrella brand for the sub. They're not really. I won't actually call them brands, but normally it's like one product. You know, the egg in a cup or whatever. I don't know, but um, I think it's brilliant. And here's the other thing: is like you don't, you don't now, you don't have to have seen it on TV. All you need is that red uh, TV Guide ish logo. You see that at Walgreens, you go, it must be good. Someone's seen this on TV. I think that's really smart. Right. And I think that's part of why this Christmas tree stand is still around because it it gained sort of a, an infinite lifetime as an as seen on TV thing, despite the fact that surely it hasn't actually been seen on TV since. <laughs> you know, <laughs> apply 1998 or whenever the hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> whenever the hell we got it. I yeah. took that as a, uh, she texted me about that in our super secret private text channel that you're not in. And um, I took that as a nice thing, as a sweet thing. I think it's a way of saying that you two have been together. You've been in one another's lives for so long that now you, she's practically like a parent to you. And I think that's nice. I bet she appreciates that. Yeah. I started to remember the origin of things that long ago. Uh, my parents did have a really cool Christmas tree stand, but obviously it wasn't the one that we have. So. And so the stand talk continues with, uh, uh, that's a Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. I heard the new one's not good. No, it's very bad. It's maybe the worst television adaptation I've ever seen. And that's saying a lot. Is, is it worse than The Shining? Uh, so some people really like The Shining adaptation, right? Oh, the, the one TV with the guy one? From Wings? I, ne- I never did watch the TV one. Oh. But you love The Stand. And that's, that's, was that the one with the cowboy? No, that's the Tower Boy. Towerman? What's the one? What's, there's, one there's one with the plague at the gas station. That's mm-hmm. The Stand. You can tell how far I got in the book. Yep. It was well, the one with the cowboy and the, and the bullet. That was that the terrible dark movie. Dark Tower. That's seven books, not one. The Dark Tower, and that's the one with uh, with the guy from The Wire. I suppose. Oh, I know they mean the movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, that movie was not good either. Yeah, Stacker Pentecost. Previously, uh, a, a big front runner for worst adaptation, but boy, this Stan miniseries has really, really just come out of nowhere. That's got to be so difficult to make. No, that, that's the thing, Stan. I didn't want a tangent stand miniseries. The stand is a thousand page book. You can't make it into a movie because it's just too much crap. You could make it into a good, like condensed movie by cutting half the characters or something or whatever, but that would be difficult and it would be a different thing. Right. 
Fine. Mm -hmm. So you make it a mini series. Because you got a thousand page book, you can't do it in a movie. You're not going to yeah. do seven seasons of TV. Like maybe like like eight hours, something like that. Yeah, that's what mini series mm -hmm. are for. If you want to adapt, or a thousand as we say page on book, Netflix, a limited series, which means yeah, there's four, yeah. which give means yourself, it's not really Netflix because it's not way too long. Yeah, right. So give yourself. I mean, it's the perfect match of format, and they've tried to make a stand mini series at least twice now, possibly three times. I don't know. I think I block block them out when they come by. Right. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing about the stand and Stephen King in general, but specifically the stand. The thing reads like a screenplay. Like it's <laughs> it's it's ready on the page. Just you can, shoot like, it. Really visualize like the blocking and everything. Just he's a cinematic writer. Just shoot yeah. what's on the page. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to amend it. The scenes in the book are scenes put, like just put them on the screen. Yeah. Don't change anything. In order they are on the page. Just start and like obviously you have to condense it a little bit. And you can't have all the dialogue and the internal monologue or whatever. But like the basic events of the book. Just shoot them with good actors in order, with good production values. It's not that hard. Oh, my God. And they just they just blow it because someone's like, I have a new twist on this idea. It's like, you're not going to do a better job at telling a story than Stephen King does in this book. And it's a thousand-page book, and you can't do it in two hours, but you can do it in 10 or 12. So just shoot it. Mm, I have a question for you. My first exposure to Stephen King was very memorable. Well, sorry, I mean, Night Shift and stuff like that. But... um even before that, Salem's Lot. And it's still, to me, I've gone back and I've rewatched that bedroom scene, and it's still legit scary to me. Uh, the Nosferatu-looking guy, it's also scary. What is it that makes for a successful, well, answer any way you want, but in terms of what you would consider a successful or unsuccessful Stephen King adaptation, he's so prolific. The guy writes, still writes like 5,000 words a day. He's a machine. But he's had so many books and so many things adapted, things he didn't like, things other people didn't like. What what is it that makes a Stephen? How can I put this? Is there a certain thing that makes them all bad in the same way, like Anna Karenina style, or is there so, is there a reason that some are elevated over others? What is a successful, particularly successful Stephen King adaptation, and what made it so? I mean, I think there's two ways you can go with this. One is you can make something loosely inspired by a book. That's the Shining movie, right? It's really, it's like, well, inspired, someone read the book. Inspired by. Yeah, like, it's <laughs> okay. All right, so you you license it, and you're going to make a movie loosely based on something or other that might have, the book might have tickled in your mind. But you do a great job, because you're Stanley Kubrick. You get The Shining movie. That's a right. great Steve, adaptation. He notoriously or famously really, uh, Stephen King really disliked that adaptation. Yeah, because right? Stephen King had a lot, had told a story, and Stanley Kubrick was like, nah, I'm not going to tell that story. And he didn't. He, told he, a different story. A, he had a whole different angle on what he wanted it to be. Right. Okay. It's just very, very different from top to bottom. But it's a really good movie and definitely inspired by the book because there's a lot of similarities. It just kind of went off in its own direction. So that's one way you can go. And that's actually obviously difficult because that's like you've got to already be a great filmmaker because you're not really getting anything from the book other than a license, a name and an inspiration. Right. The mm -hmm. other direction I feel like you can go with the Stephen King adaptation is, like I said, just shoot what's on the page. Because Stephen King is such a such a good writer for television. Like, he writes scenes that when you read them, as a modern person and you read them, you can see it in your mind as a scene in a movie or, or a TV show. Like, his characters, his, like, the events, like, just everything about it, the tension is like, you know, like a Hitchcock movie. Like, whatever, it's just, it's right there on the page and it's so good. And just don't screw it up, right? Everyone's got to have their great idea and they're going to make this character into that cute? thing. Do they get too cute about putting their imprimatur on it? They, they try to condense characters. They like it, I, f I feel like if you read 
uh, if you read a story, a Stephen King book, there are scenes that stand out in your mind. Like if you ask anybody who's read any of his most famous books, oh, remember when the, the scene with whatever, remember, like in the same way you would talk about a scene in a television show or a movie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then when people adapt the books, they don't put those scenes in. Or they, or they totally undercut those scenes because really in our adaptation, we cut out this whole other event and we made these three people into a composite character and we made this thing turn out differently because we thought the book was too depressing or too whatever. Like, you're blowing it. Like, they, the, his stories work because, like, they're just good stories and don't think that you're going to improve them, right? Now, mm -hmm. sometimes you have to condense if you're trying to make a movie and I understand it's difficult um, and making a good movie adaptation. But you've got to be is, picky about not taking down a load-bearing wall um, just for the sake of brevity. Like you have to be circumspect about what you would leave out and still retain the part that makes yeah. this a good Stephen yeah. King you, thing. You have, to, you have to understand what made the, the book good. To give another example, another great Stephen King movie that people love, The Shawshank Redemption. That's a short story. So you can basically put the whole freaking thing on the screen and guess what? It's a great movie. Because yeah. almost yeah. every fun beat in that uh, movie is a fun beat from the story and it's a short story so you're not leaving tons out and mangling the thing to death now it's not exactly like the book but it's right it's like that's that i feel like is, a lot of is philip k dick stuff a lot of the good philip k dick stuff there's some good great stuff from novels but a lot of that i guess for heinlein for a lot of these folks it comes out of their short stories like um like i think blade runner i think electric sheep is a, is a novel but like predestination is based on a short story um uh, uh arrival right isn't that a arrival is by oh yeah who who did that uh chang no i don't know oh right i think it's a contemporary writer but i okay i i, I get which you know i think the, if i'm being honest off the dome i think there's exactly one stephen king book that i have read all the way through and it's a nonfiction book um but you know so i imagine you read this but he has a wonderful book called on writing and it's such an interesting and perplexing book until you get what he's doing. And so you pick up on writing and it's, you're like, okay, so this is a book about writing and something like I want to say the first half of the book for, for, for our purposes, the first major portion of the book is just recollections of stuff, mostly from his childhood and stuff like this experience, like with a, like a beehive and like all these different things. Then you're like, Hmm, okay, this is a book on writing. Then he pivots to like the second ish half is just incredibly useful advice about writing that in some ways has a lot to do with what he just told you with all of these anecdotes. And I, I think it's, it's such a wonderful book. It's not like a how to book on writing, but you know, I have a few favorite books on writing and, and that's definitely up there because you come out of it going, feeling so invigorated, but the best part of the book uh, is toward the end he might have even added this for a, a second edition or whatever but it's after the accident in 1999 and his description of that day walking down the road i mean i haven't read this book in over 10 years he's walking down the road you know he takes these walks in maine and there's like lots of curves in the road and there's a guy and he's a guy in a van driving kind of recklessly his dogs are trying to get meat out of a cooler and it's the, the, the description of the accident or the collision that made his life so horrible is just amazing. I'll just never forget him describing the guy talking about, you know, he went going into town to get Maz's bars. Like the way that he writes, just, everything he writes is just so evocative. I totally get what you mean about when you say like it's, you know, the scene is like right there. Just shoot the book. Because he, he is uncannily evocative. 
and economical, really, as much long as his books are, so economical in getting an image into your head. It's, um, it's I would say it's magical, but it's hard work. You know, he had all those pins and stuff in his leg, and he still sat down and wrote 5,000 words a day at a typing table under the stairs. You know, he's a really, he's such an interesting guy, but he's a hell of a writer. Yeah, that, that book is, uh, on writing, uh, is interesting in a couple of ways. Uh, the first is that, you know, like you said, he can't help but be entertaining. Ostensibly, it's a book about writing, but he can't help but entertain you. He can't help mm-hmm. but be a storyteller, right? And he's, and he's just a natural storyteller. He's not like a, a natural writers, writer. I like a lot of writers, he doesn't, he doesn't feel any need. I mean, he's got words to spare. And he obviously does not feel any need to dress this up into something that it's not. He's not going to try and make this seem like Nabokov. He's not going to try and make this seem like Dostoevsky. He's not going to make it seem like Sylvia Plath. He is, it's, I mean, again, I never want to take anything away from the art and intelligence that he has as a characterizer of people and situations. But, you know, it seems like it would, like, like sort of like you're implying here, it would be difficult for him not to be entertaining. It's somebody who, like, somebody who's a really good singer trying to sing badly. He's just, he's a total pop writer. He just, he writes the most amusing stuff in a way that you just can't put down. And it's just made him one of the greats. Yeah, and the the other thing I, I took away from on writing is how, you know, he's a great storyteller and a great entertainer, but how he's not actually a great writer because he shows in one in one very memorable section that just blew my mind when I read this, he showed uh, a first draft of some section that he had written. And the first draft was really bad. It was bad in ways that, that like, mm-hmm. that I could tell it was bad. Like, yeah. bad in ways that I would stop myself from typing if I were writing it, because I would say, this is bad in a known way, even known to me, a dummy, right? And mm-hmm. he's Stephen King. And his point in that section was, yeah, this is what it looks like when you just bang it out, and then you edit and edit. <laughs> and like, But and also, critically, just... critically, as somebody who produces so many different things and has so many projects going, I remember being really struck by... The fact that, you know, he's got, he writes for Tabby. Tabby's his first reader, his wife. But then what he does is he puts it in a drawer and he won't touch it mm-hmm. for weeks or months, which is like most people I know who write would go like, oh my gosh, how could you do that? Like, will it still be relevant? Will it be? But he needs space to the, so what that enables him to do, as I understand that you put this manuscript in a drawer and come back in March. And in the meantime, you go pick up a manuscript you put in the drawer a few months ago. And like, there's always water in the well because you always have something to be working on, whether it's a first draft, a second draft, a polishing, um, you know, whatever that is. And that's such a, he so professionalizes this thing a lot of people think of as just being a, like a, a fountain of creativity where you just got to stick a coffee can under it. Yeah. And he's helped by his actual editors. Like that's another thing that's, that's made clear in the book that uh, mm-hmm. uh, to a large extent, the, a lot of the actual beauty in his prose is thanks to the people who edit him because obviously he has like the best editors in the world at this point he's super world famous and everything and it's not to say that he's a bad writer or anything it's just that his like his natural gift and talent is as a storyteller and entertainer and an observer of human nature and the words is just like like you said workmanlike like i've got to get it down on the page i'm not going to try to dress it up i'm not cormac mccarthy i'm going to get the job done and i'm going to do it cleanly and i'm not going to get in the way of the real gift that i'm giving you which is this story Right. Mm-hmm. And my and my insight into humans. Like it's another thing that characterizes Stephen King books. I, I know if you haven't read him, you're like, oh, that's the horror author guy. He writes scary things. And like I, you know, I even thought that before I read his first book because all I knew of Stephen King when I was eight years old or whatever was like, oh, the horror books. And I don't like horror movies. I'm never going to read Stephen King because why would I want to do that? Somehow I ended up reading one. But the, the thing after reading a bunch of them that, you know, you start to 
you know, get comfortable in his rhythms. And one of his big rhythms is he has an amazing way of writing almost everyone in his books has it, of writing a character that that is trying to do the right thing and that is sympathetic uh but that is not i mean it's all textbook stuff like that but that is not perfect this is a flawed character and no matter mm. how badly flawed they are somehow you read it and there's at least one or two characters who are like you feel for that person because you know they're trying to do the right thing you know that they're good-hearted mm-hmm. and good-natured and they're protagonists of your book in a good old-fashioned kind of way and yet very often they are you know objectively terrible people who do terrible things but they're trying and that's the thing you can do so well in a book because you get to see the inner Especially monologue a lot, of, a lot of authors want to create somebody i think this might be a straw man but i do feel like there is a tendency among younger writers especially to write the bad guy or the good guy or the whatever person right and mm-hmm. to have somebody who is set upon by by circumstances that where there otherwise would be this heroic person and maybe there's a misunderstanding or whatever it is. But like, there's also something to be said for a character who is not quite cursed, but who like can't seem to get out of their own way. Or there's just something where like, you know, like the peanuts rain cloud following you around. I mean, to, to have the, take, take some courage to write a character like that who's not who's not naturally heroic or naturally evil or naturally anything. They're just like a person who bumps into a lot of problems and, you know, like I say, you know, a classic three act, you know, play or three act structure is, you know, um, what is it? Act one, we chase our character up a tree. Number two, we throw apples at them. And then in uh, third act, we try to see how they get down. It's, you know, that's what makes a story good is like, there has to be something that the person might not survive, even though they're doing their best. Yeah. And it, it, like, and he doesn't, he's got the sort of, now he's an older author, obviously, but he's, he's not cynical in his stories. His young, in his younger mm-hmm. short stories, you see a little bit of the sort of teenage angst and cynicism seeping through, but in general, he's not cynical about life and human nature. He's just a big softy, right? And you wouldn't think that from his reputation until you've read a bunch of his books. Um, and I think part of the reason he can relate to this is like, you'll read these books where there's these characters that are obviously the heroes of their own stories, despite, again, if you were an outside observer and not privy to their inner thoughts, they wouldn't look that way to you at all. And this is coming from an author who, during much of the time he was writing his biggest hits, was like abusing every drug he could get his hands on, right? His description of when he took out the uh, beer cans that one time, again, like such an evocative image, you know? He was was in pretty bad shape for a while. And he was just doing every, any and every drug. And like, I always see like, it was like sniffing model glue and just like (laughs) using like aura gel and just to get alcohol. It was just, I didn't even know, like, and, and so obviously he's the hero of his own story and this is what he's doing right and so he he himself is a stephen king character right (laughs) no spoilers (laughs) right but (laughs) like and so you can see how he can write those things because if that's your life and you are able to hang on to the idea that you are a good person worthy of worthy of love despite all your obvious shortcomings that you are well aware of i guess it's you know you're able to write characters like that in a book where whatever that character may be, however bad or whatever things they do that are bad or whatever experiences they have in underneath it all, they're good people trying to do the right thing and they may or may not succeed. And that sort of uh, warm, fuzzy, uh, you know, in, in a Ted Lasso sense and sort of a non-cynical kind of good hearted, uh, optimistic about humanity and life in a way that you would not think based on a description of the events of the book. If I were just explain to them, A happens and B happens and C happens, you'd be like, that's terrible. It's like, no, but you don't understand. 
the characters. You really, you're really pulling for them. Right. Right. Well, speaking of TV stands. Yeah, that was a heck of a, uh, a tangent on this. I was valuable. I don't, I'm assuming you understand that this bullet point means literally a thing that holds up your television set. I don't understand anything. That's that's what that's supposed to be. Nobody here tells to, me nothing. Yeah. This is this is uh, it was supposed to be brief, but we got it off on a Stephen King tangent. Um this is in the preparing the way vein. Um it's yeah. another one of those things. You know, you know, you've you've gone through at least two TVs in the time that I've just been mulling over the idea of potentially getting a new TV. I'm constantly looking at TVs. It's one of my hobbies to just look at the tech involved there. But, you know, practically speaking, I'm not getting a new TV. My TV is is an old plasma TV and I have not replaced it because I'm whatever. But as part of my looking for TVs in recent years, one of the factors that has come into the mix is physically what holds the television up so that I can look at it, right? The TV stand, you know, it's built yeah, like in my television. In my case, it's, it's, it, when you say TV stand, we don't mean like the particle wood shelf thing that you stick it in as a kid. We're talking about whatever it is that keeps your TV upright. The foot, the hoof, you know. <laughs> Tommy, tell me about my painting. Yeah. It's like that, you know, the, the televisions, most televisions that you can buy, some of them are wall mounted, so they don't have anything like they mm-hmm. just, they have a thing you attach to the back, but most of them have a thing where you can place them on a surface and they hold themselves upright so they don't tip over. So there's got to be some kind of foot type thing. And mm-hmm. television manufacturers have decided that they hate me and they're only going to make televisions like the good televisions, the top end televisions with stands that are incompatible with my house. Now, my current Hmm. television stand on my plasma television is cruel in one way in that it is a metal V, right? It's like a big metal, big metal base that's just flat. Mm -hmm. And then coming up from that is a big metal V that holds the television. And that's cruel because I have a thousand cables coming out of the back of my television and I don't Mm -hmm. want to see a thousand cables snaking down behind my TV thing. But the, you can see everything because the only thing there is a metal V. Where are you going to hide the cables? So you I know, know what I did? Wow. What? I have I have like fastened all the cables to down the V. Half the cables go down one side of the V. Half the cables go down the other side of the V. And they're clinging to the back of this metal V. That is that is very admirable. It's terrible mm-hmm. because trying to like bundle them up and keep them so they're you know hidden behind these little metal legs. It's like it's like in a cartoon when like a cartoon character tries to hide behind something that's just a bunch of skinny things and they warp their body into little yeah right? so right that's you what I'm doing cactus shaped <laughs> yeah that's what I'm doing yeah. now and it's terrible because it's very difficult to hide the wires that way and you can kind of see them from certain angles because there are huge bundles back there right but at least that stand works for my setup as in a, you can it holds my television up and it works. For some reason, over the past several years, every television manufacturer decided, you know how a television should sit on the surface? It should sit just exactly on the surface, like that the bottom edge of the television should be touching the surface. Our Apple TV does not fit. Our Apple TV puck does not fit underneath our TV. And your TV actually has a pretty high stand. Maybe three quarters of an inch, maybe. I'm like, like right here with my iMac. Several times today, I've had to do some things. doesn't matter. And I've had to, you know, move and reconfigure. And I can stick my paw underneath the iMac, grab around the back of the thing, you know, fine. And I, I never have a problem with cables here. Like, they're well out of the way. They're obscured by the screen. It drives me crazy. And ours even has, like, funky accommodations and some kind of weird little box thing. And it's trying to kind of do a channel thing. But the single 
well, I don't like the stand on mine at all, as I will talk about, but like I just, everything about my TV is amazing except for dealing with cables and stuff. There's not enough HDMI ports. The HDMI is there. I'm using those L junction things to try and make it less heinous. But, you know, just the realities of using the existing crappy four HDMI things I get, uh, it's it's such a pain in the butt. It's so ugly. And and I, I mean, we can't have a sound bar. If we have a sound bar, we would lose like an inch or two of uh, TV at the bottom. So take a look at this link I just sent you. Okay. Uh, scroll down about a midway through the page. There is like a rotate a thing that you can rotate. It says beautifully designed for an immersive viewing experience. And then you can they have like this 3D rotating thing. I'm getting there. Beautifully designed for an immersive now, viewing experience. Rotate that oh sucker. Okay. Look at that thing. It looks like a television that's like letting its it's it's just like there's no space. Look at it. It is flat on the surface. Um, can you turn the y-axis? No. Um. Uh. Yeah. So this is what what John sent me is a fairly slender, not as slender as mine, but a slender TV that is on, what's the word, not a cantilever. <laughs> what, what would you describe? You got the two legs coming out the sides, and then that meets at a T, a really, this looks like a cost thing to me, like they're just trying to cheap out. It ends with a T on either side that holds it upright. But but it doesn't hold it off the surface at all. Like the legs no, no, are no, it's, alongside. It's flush. It, it is necessarily flush against the surface. Right, now this is dumb for, it's dumb for one reason, and it hurts me for a second reason. It's dumb because... If you don't have that television scooted up to like the edge of your table, then you can't mm-hmm. see the bottom few inches of the screen. If like, say you're laying a kid laying on the ground, looking up at the TV, right? Mm-hmm. Because you won't be able to it's see not, the bottom of the really, TV. It's also really inefficient in terms of like how the amount of the amount of depth with this little skinny TV, the amount of depth you're going to need to clear because of these stupid feet. Right. And so you can, and you can't bring it right to the edge of your entertainment center because the legs stick out in front stick of out. it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh-huh. And then it might tip over or whatever. And the second reason it's terrible is because in my house that was made before television, uh, <laughs> there's no place for a TV. It's the only place we have it is in the, it's like uh, on an angle in a corner. And my, the, the thing, the actual piece of furniture that my television is sitting on is not wide enough to accommodate a modern television at all. Like um, a 55 inch TV, I don't know how wide it is, but like, what mm-hmm. you know, it's my television is a 55 inch TV and it sticks out like a foot on either side of the, of the thing it's sitting on. That's not okay. going to work if the legs are on the edges of the television. Those two oh, legs would well, be... Scroll down, scroll down just one scroll, and you'll see, though, it looks like they have an option for you to be able to raise it up in, my, in that bottom right of right. the three. So, so I sent you the Sony because they recognize that this arrangement of flat on the ground with the feet at the edges is ridiculous. Like, it kind of looks like... You know what it reminds me of? It's like, um, not Lunar Lander, but almost like an Apollo, like the way the feet would come out to like mm-hmm. come down from like a, like a Harrier, the way a Harrier would land, like a just coming down. But okay, so what's what am I looking at? Whoa, is that a TV? That wide thing? That's just a zoom. That's a crop. That's just zoomed into the bottom edge of the TV. Oh, I see. Okay, what am I looking at here? So and so now you see that they give you two different other options. Mm. One is you you can actually make it. Yeah, you you can make it come up off the ground a little bit to fit a a very small soundbar under. Although I would argue that that that, that's probably elevated like an inch and a half off the ground, so you got to have a really thin uh, soundbar. The 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 Sonos the Sonos Beam soundbar would cover up an inch of that screen. Right. And then the other one is you can bring the feet inward so that uh, it might fit in my television stand type area. And yeah. this this type of arrangement, the reason I showed you the Sony is this is the only brand that gives me any kind of hope because the other brands do not 
offer this kind of flexibility. They're just like, look, this is the stand. Take it or leave it. Even your previous television, the E, uh, the LG, uh, what the hell the was it? The old one, the 55? E9? Yeah. I can look. Yeah, I think it was an LG E8 or E9. That one had a very, uh, a, a stand that was not the full width of the television, but it mm-hmm. was almost the full width of the television. And that one, that stand would have stuck out six inches on either side of my little table thing. This must drive you crazy, John. I mean, aesthetics aside, well, you can't ever set aesthetics aside with John, but like it, it that must be pretty precarious feeling. And so the final, and it's in a corner, it's in a corner. Yeah. You say? I mean, the, the final challenge here is this year, uh, LG finally updated their television panel to be better than it had been the previous few years after stagnating for a while. And LG is the only company that makes these OLED television panels. So every company uses them. The Sony has an LG panel. The LG ones have LG panels. Mm. Everyone uses them for their OLED TVs. Uh, so they updated the panel. Uh, but LG itself is only using the good panel in their highest end television. And their highest end television is meant to be hung on a wall for rich people, right? Like, no, this is not a vase amount. This is one of those, like, like, like sort of like where we see this master and commander looking shot down below like where it would you would basically drill into the wall for the cables to go somewhere yep because if this was my house there'd be like nine cables dangling out of the bottom of this beautiful hanging tv so this is the fancy one from lg this is the new new one yes this is newer than mine this has no stand no stand no stand right (laughs) no stand at all um it's and not entirely true. This, like, you say, so, this, so unfortunately, it's only this one uh, Van, Van Gogh painting is all you can see. No, you hang it on the wall. Is that the yeah. idea? Yeah. Now, Professionally installed, let's be clear here. We're not talking about, like, if you're, you're going to have the paltry five or whatever HDMI cables, that they're, in the, they're going through a hole in the wall, correct? Yep. And you can do it yourself. Uh, Quinn Nelson. Uh, how would you, how on, would you get this to your dingus? Like, how would, you, how would you hook up your camera so you can, like, watch HDMI from your camera? Like, how do you access any of this? I mean... Is it a third all, location? There's all solutions that, you know... Oh, solutions. Okay. That, that, that I, you can accommodate in a fancy home. Now, they recognize that sometimes you might not be able to hang it on a wall. So huh. here is their other solution. Okay. Take a look at that. Okay, coming... Okay, Gal. <laughs> you know who loves this? Anyone you're married to. What John has sent me is, oh gosh, you know what this reminds me of. You could do it right off the dome when you're a kid. You go to somebody's house and they say, do you want to see our slides from Florida? And what do they do? What do they go get? They go get the screen that you with a tripod and you mm-hmm. pull down the thing and then you can use your slide carousel to watch this looks like the 2021 version of a slideshow screen it's a tripod oh my god this is horrible a tripod huge by my by my reckoning very large footprint tripod that makes your tv float in the air except for the oh three inch circumference uh tube that's holding it up and what did you notice about these pictures showing this stand do you notice anything about these pictures these photographs Um, i feel like it's something about the environment um well they're huge rooms where Mm -hmm. you could put it almost anywhere Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's your point the lighting is very interesting in all of these yeah but in all of these like this could go anywhere my what i think is interesting you could have a children's dance party around the screen on any of these yeah the, think of my uh, my uh, previous description of my Metal V. Mm-hmm. 
What's missing in these pictures? Cords. What the hell is that TV plugged into? There are no cords. There's no power oh, wireless, cord. John. There's no wait, HDMI cable. There's John, no wave Apple the future. TV. Wave the future. Yeah. <laughs> Where mm-hmm. the hell? These obviously these are fake pictures, right? But sure. If you buy this stand that is literally a metal pole, like the like the the pole from Festivus, like with feats of strength and everything, it's an aluminum pole. Yeah. Do you think people don't connect their television to a wire that shows a picture? Because where does that wire come from? Well, I mean, let's let's be let's be plain spoken about this. I mean, this is this is this is up there with the many many shots and and the footage of HomePods that make it look like there's not even a power cord. But the thing about like HomePod the, is, you there's no, only where would you need plug this in, John? Cord. There's no there's not even an electric cord here. Right, but you, but like the HomePod only does need one cable. How many people have one cable connected to the back of their television? This has zero, by the way. This doesn't even have power. But so you need maybe at least like two the cables. silence of the lambs guy. But I think almost everybody else, you know what you could do? Maybe you're maybe you've got a streaming box and you get everything through your Roku or whatever. And you duct tape it to the back of your bazillion dollar TV. This is on extremely a metal pole. this is extremely misleading because it isn't even like this is one of those fancy 80s houses that has um electrical 110 electrical outlets flush in the floor it with doesn't. a cover. You can see it. There's no there's no cable going to this television. And and Mm-mm. nobody has one cable. This is like when somebody's television. playing a guitar that's not plugged in in a yeah, Like who like who has one power cable and one HDMI connected to their television if you're like a fancy rich person who can well, afford this I'll, TV? I'll put a finer point on it. If this had even one power cable and even one HDMI cable setting aside all the other things with coax <laughs> Yeah. Um. Like a USB, all those things. It would. This would be in the middle of this room. These three mm-hmm. mise en scenes would be so goddamn ugly. I mean, look at look at the one where it's by the window. Setting oh, aside having the backlight from the TV. Like Can you imagine chair? trying you to route... your Eames chair and watch a what yeah. is that? I think like, the oh, the, it's the Afghan channel. They're watching the Afghan. Channel. <laughs> like the outlet is not going to be in the window, so you'd have to have a power cord snaking <laughs> already along using the, the floor outlet for that fancy lamp <laughs> along the floor to one of those walls. I think there's uh-huh. no outlets in those walls either. I don't understand. I don't think these houses are up to code. There are no outlets. Uh, I see like an eight foot span of this wall, and there's no outlets in it. That's not code. I got to send you this picture of my hair light. I, I was dealing with my hair light today, and. I think you would really, you know how I sent you photos where you can tell my office really looks like saw sometimes, mm-hmm. like they got like hooks and stuff hanging down. So this is this is what I'm living with right now temporarily, and it's like it's not pretty. It's a great hair light, but like I don't want to live like this forever. I, what I'm I'm sending this to you. I think it it is extremely misleading to put things like this up without some kind of a clarification. I mean, I realize it sounds like I'm being. Like I'm being simple, like, oh yeah, of course, it's puffery or whatever they call it, right? Exaggeration. But I think it's really dishonest to sell a TV that's this nice and this, as we say in my house, fancy, and to have it to imply that it's there's some kind of a particle beam that's gonna shoot entertainment at the screen. I mean, they really just want you to hang it on your wall. And all I'm saying is that this is the only but you LG don't just television hang it on your panel. wall. You install yeah, it. Yeah, now someone's gotta run all the cables in the wall. I mean, it's a big I pain. I bet it's or easier to put in a toilet than it is to get this thing on the wall. But I, but I can't do that. I don't have any walls I can hang it on. I can't even it's put a it corner. flat against the wall. You got a corner, John. I've got a yeah. corner. It's, it's, it's on an angle in a corner, and it's got a thousand cables behind it, and I need <sighs> some way to put it up. So I have to just nix the LG off my list if they don't fix their stand. The Sony uses, I think, the same panel. We'll see once the review units come out. And that at least has some flexibility in the stand, but it's still not great. So, it, you know... Picking television, oh, I'm going to pick based on uh, price or picture quality or features or no, I'm going to pick based on the stupid stand. This, the, like, like my fridge, right? I'm picking based on physical characteristics yes. that technically don't have anything to do with the performance of the device, but it's just like, will it fit in the house? 
Does it fit in this space? Well, you know, God bless you if you live in a suburb that was created two years ago to accommodate the enormity of American success in life. As it happens, John and I do not. My house is built in my house. The, the house that I rent part of was built in 1928, and it shows. And like, there, I cannot even tell you how many decisions I have to make that are exactly what you're describing here, which is, you know, features, give me the features and benefits. That's great. We have a little jokey dishwasher on a cart that rolls around because there's nowhere to put anything. We, I told you we can't get, we can't get um, fiber because we don't have an electric drop mm -hmm. in our garage. Speaking of garages. But like, you know, it's, it is, it, it's frustrating when, and it's, let's be honest here, we're not talking just about like fancy high-end electronics. It goes for tons of stuff. You have to begin with- For beds. Think of beds. Oh my God. I mean, even just how things get up the steps mm -hmm. or through the kill zone in the mm -hmm. reverse direction is, but like it's, it is, you do, it's nice to be able to just look at the features and benefits and go, I'll just put this in my large bachelor, bachelor man house. Um, but no, you all really have to begin with what, what, in order for, okay, what place do I want this to have in my life? Whatever this thing is, given what place I would like for this to have in my life, that's when you go straight into the difficult logistics of where, where this will go, where, where will this go? And like, how, how will this fit here? Let's, like, you know, let's go back to the beanbag chair, which by the way, I thought I got rid of, but the, the giant beanbag <laughs> chair is now back. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so my latest frustration, apart from things being in, in my area and a work, active working area, all those kinds of things. Now, now the latest thing is there's all kinds of places in the house where I can't walk up to the wall. I can't walk up to the window. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. now I'm bending you over. You gotta lean over, yeah, it's great. Oh, if I wanna open the window, center of gravity goes over here. Uh -huh. Oh, you just, you just nailed it. So I have, I have radiators in front of most of my windows. My house is from the mm -hmm. 30s and they have, you have hot water yeah. radiators pretty I much in front, like of, an accordion. in front of every single window. But mm -hmm. also in front of the radiator, which is bad for air circulation and bad for heating efficiency, in front of the radiator spaced out some amount to try to make me vaguely, uh, you know, to try to appease me in some way. So they, they are, we're going to put a, a, a waist high bookshelf in front of the radiator. Oh, but don't worry. I'll move it away from the radiator a little bit. What? Okay? Now, say I want to open that window. It's, I have to bend over and reach like five what you, feet what away. Cirque du Soleil? That's right. no way to live. Let me, I'm going to put in the window you did an air conditioner as I bend over and try to get the win the air conditioner into a window. I should be able <laughs> to walk straight up to the edge. I should be able to walk to the wall, have my toes, the, the toes of my shoes against the wall mm -hmm. without having to move anything. Instead, my, my toes of my shoes are five feet from the wall and I'm trying to somehow muster some amount of leverage to open my window. John, you're doing a road sobriety test. It's the worst. Ugh, no way to live. As, as I told you uh, with my my uh, my TV, I think the stand weighs. I want to say I did the math here one time, the arithmetic. I think they weigh like almost twenty pounds. It's really really heavy, and really really solid. And you really, <laughs> it's kind of a trick. You know how it's always a trick. And actually, I ran this today with my hair light, which is like when you're trying to do 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 a fine thing with your hand and a difficult thing with your hand. You know what I mean? Like the idea of like imagine trying to screw something heavy into something that's not fixed. Well, it's like uh, juggling the bowling ball and the, uh, the knife yeah, at the same much. time, right? For me, I'm trying to spin this key light around on the quarter inch mount for this. And so you got to unplug it, you got to hold the thing. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, and I'm on a ladder. And so, boy, is there all kinds of ways that that can go like wrong. You got, you, got like do a, something... you got like a barrel of monkeys thing going on holding up this light, huh? It's my life. Yeah, that, yeah, that's like, you know, the little monkeys. Oh, you see my like, hooks. The, you see my, 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 saw, yeah. my saw hooks? You yeah. can literally use barrel of monkeys for that. 
You want to add some flavor to your? <laughs> I, 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 I like the I like the cord, the extension cord that's oh, okay. like Here tied in a little knot, connected to the. That's little, so it doesn't unplug. Connected to the wall wart. Yeah, it's great. And, and then it goes on the wall wart, and the wall wart. Oh, it's one of those really nice ones mm-hmm. where it comes with the European one and the Australian one, mm-hmm. the other European one, and you just go click and turn it a quarter of a turn. I like Elgato. They make nice products. And a drop ceiling. I had top, to I had to, to open up the drop ceiling because I had to have a place to clamp my clamp. You my find, find out the person who lives up there. <laughs> on the first and a half floor. Mm-hmm. That's mostly just mice, don't worry. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's all sugar ants this time of year. Did you find all the mouse turds on top of your drop ceiling? Majas Baj. No, no, we got this in the garage. I deal with that. Yeah, and also like in that third picture, John, where they're looking at the pussy willows in a field, only they're not. They got this little, they got this fancy couch and a little throw to put over yourself. And like, but it's, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, parallel? No. Yeah, who's not watching this television from what are they Who saying? can watch this TV? Mm-hmm. Well, don't matter. it doesn't matter because it's not plugged into anything anyway. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's just got it's all gets the Pussy Willow channel. <laughs> free. It's, it's a free week on the Pussy Willow this, channel. This television is like the soap that only the guests are supposed to use, but they shouldn't use it either. Oh, th- those nice seashell ones we got mm-hmm. on vacation? Those are nice. Also, the tiny towels with the mushrooms on them. Don't use those. Mm-hmm. That's not for you. Okay, that, that's a, you know, that's a, an 80s stand-up comedian bit, but that was absolutely a real thing in pretty much everybody's Everybody knew house. It. Like, all my Everybody friends' houses. knew it. Yes. They you never that. used the seashell soap, ever. Right. They had the soap, they had the towels, and somehow, like, no one ever told me don't use them, but we all just knew. Like, it was just instilled in well, you. Well, nobody had to tell you not to poop on the coffee table either, but you somehow brought, pulled. but here's the thing, what room was that in? Guest bathroom. Yeah. And the guest bathroom is like, it's basically for John F. Kennedy or the Pope. That's it. Nobody's mm-hmm. ever allowed to use that bathroom. Really use it. You know what I mean? Like ruin it, like, like a serious, like an absolute paint job. Is this, <laughs> I, I've heard you bringing out paint job for a while. Is this your, <laughs> is this your phrasing? I don't think I've heard no, that No, I'm doing a bit. It's like fifth grade all over again. Just me doing Steve Martin. No, it's, uh, I'm doing a, uh, bits, uh, from, um, <sighs> baby, 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 Tim. Tim and Eric? What's his name? No, 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 no. The guy from, um, the guy from, uh, I think you should leave. Not helping me. Okay. You don't like to laugh. I do. And you don't, you don't appreciate the subtlety of a really, really good poop joke. So I don't even bother sharing them. Sure I do. Okay. I'll set you up. It used to be a sophisticated (gasps) poop joke. Challenge. Challenge. Okay. I did. I was going to make you watch Tim and Eric and then I thought better of it. I've probably mm. seen, uh, I've probably seen all the bits you want me to see just from you sending me videos over the years. Talk about, talk about ice cream on the side. Mm-hmm. Ridge chips, bring on two, two and a half, three pounds of black forest ham. Got that on us uh, on standby, and you've got to try my homemade CD. Got that up out in the freeze. Just got to heat it up. <sighs> so that's it for DBZ stands. Just further news as events yeah. warrant. Uh, like I, I, I think am that's still... it for the show. We gotta we gotta go into the uh, into the uh, the uh, uh, the after period now. Because at some point I will get a new television, and that will cascade into just an incredible series of things. I don't want to be dark. I don't want to be dark, John. But here's your problem: you're gonna die. And like you're gonna be on your your deathbed, and you'll be complaining about various things about how the room is lit and things like that. You'll be complaining with your last breath. You'll be letting people know how disappointed you are and how they turned out. You'll be, you know. And the thing is, you still won't have a new TV because it's not not a good time. That's your cautionary tale. This that's your O. Henry story. I mean, I'll, I'll eventually get one. I, I I bought two televisions. 
In fact, my current television was basically like an impulse, practically an impulse purchase because I heard it they took weren't three or four years. I yeah. heard they weren't going to make plasmas anymore, and I said, you know what? That's it. I'm just buying. I'm just buying the best one that's out now because I because you know I've, I've waited too long. I had an old plasma, and I mm-hmm. I wanted to get something fancier and newer, and I was just like, that's it. I just got to buy it. So I my I have my impulse purchase television purchased in 2013. Hmm. I don't know. It's old. I love my TV. I, I love. Know. Oh, John, I left the room for a little bit. I was listening to Steely Dan Sunday morning, as one does. And I left the room for a while and I came back. And guess what? Spotify. Spotify doesn't sleep. Mm. It's like rust, never sleeps. Mm-hmm. Spotify. It was dimmed, but still nothing playing, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But Spotify was still on screen. And I yeah. almost lost my God. I turned on Pixel Refresher, immediately turned off the TV, let it do its thing. I was saying, like, most people do not have and shouldn't be asked to have the discipline to deal with a television that has burn in. Uh, that's no, that's part of no, the reason. Just, I, I'm so, I'm so burned over my like, sorry, burned. I'm so miffed over the MSNBC burned into my previous mm-hmm. screen. I now I've got reminders. I run Pixel Refresher at least twice a week. Don't tell me it doesn't work because I need it to work. I mean, it's, it's not Something. entirely a placebo. <laughs> but if I'm doing it all the time, it's almost like I got a new heart and now I'm trying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to do better this time. It's not going to be all, you know, all uh, fully loaded nachos. No, the, the the vigilance you need is just to never leave a static image on the screen. You just have to be like I am with telling the kids never leave you the television just, paused. Yeah, it's like a good Apple product. Just never use it like, and it'll be great. It's like the second you pause that television, a timer starts in my mind. I know. It's just, it's just going and going and going. That timer gets like two and a half minutes. It's like, that's it. I'm turning off the uh. television. Well, never leave its, the room. Come on. on. Yeah, I know. Uh, on its own, actually, the LG's uh, turn on that, you know, fireworks screensaver is like crazy quick. Like usually within, I think, like a minute or two. But there are certain things where like if you leave it on, like a Spotify is one. And obviously there are apps like this, for example, like on iPad, like my recipe app stays on. Um, there's other ones like that where you would like want to have it stay on. But um, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to be good. So part of my eternal optimism about the future is there are television screen technologies in the foreseeable future that don't have image retention problems like this. Hmm. Right. They just so that's don't. After you just, whatever you comes after leave, OLED, you could just leave them paused on a static screen 24 hours a day, and you'd be fine. And can you imagine living in that world? Can you imagine just not having to worry about it? And also having better picture quality. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I haven't thought about this as much as you have, but it's not that shocking to me. But it's sort of like when I first learned about the difference between I and P. And you're like, well, 1080p means that like it's just whatever, 24, 30, 29.97, whatever. It's... So, so many exact perfect images that are just flipping really fast, you know? And like in, in this instance, it's just going to be, I bet it'll pretty soon, it'll seem like crazy caveman times that we ever had to fret this much about plasmas. Yeah, because plasma had it, and I was hoping the technology after plasma wouldn't have it, and turns out that's not true. OLED came after it and has the exact same problem. Is it something endemic to OLED that causes this? Yeah, it's the organic part of it. Orga- organic LED, it's the organic part that wears out. Hmm. The longer the longer you excite the little organic elements, the more they wear out. And oh, you, that's so primitive! Oh my gosh! Okay. And if you excite them unevenly, for example, by yes. showing a static image on the screen where some areas are bright and some areas are dark, they wear yes. different amounts. It's hmm. it's like imagine you know like if you were applying brakes in the car and you only applied one brake for a year, the pads would be low on that one, but high on all the other ones. Got it. Car would be confused. We're doing donuts all the time. Yeah. yeah. 
So there are there are television <laughs> technologies out there that won't suffer from burn-in in the same way that OLEDs do, but they're, but they're not particularly close. You should get a TV, John. Just do it. You're so successful. You've got pants that you like at this point. They mm-hmm. fit you fine because you're so tall. You're so statuesque, like a beautiful Alice in Janney bird. And uh, you should treat yourself. You should you should get a new TV right now. You I should will, put screw I will eventually around. get one. I'm going to end up getting will, an But you're going to be dead by then. And you're, yeah. well, every day you yeah. don't buy a TV, you're having less enjoyment. And you're denying your family the chance to have lots of wires <laughs> they that they can see. They don't care about the TV. Don't they? Uh, you know what I'm excited about, though? Like, I watch so much television on my iPad. I'm excited to get an OLED iPad because I don't have an OLED Ooh. iPad. Oh. My wife does, but I don't. Ah, oh, iPads are <laughs> impressive. Um, <laughs> I had an unconscionable amount of sodium tonight. I had Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm. I'm floating in it right now. What did I have tonight? Oh, we had, uh, no, not particularly healthy food, but yeah. Well, because I don't get home now. Now with our new schedule, I'm just, uh, you know, here at my uh, private office and I just stay through. You know what I'm saying? So I, I uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The only way out is through. Mm-hmm. That's why I took a nap. If you're going through hell, keep going. Yes, yes. And just see there's more hell. You got to see it all. It's like Disney World. You really can't see it all in one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I recommend an eternity. Mm-hmm.